0: I'm Mimi Wagner. Welcome to the best of Simply Money. Each week, we put together some of our favorite segments from the 55KRC radio show exclusively for this podcast. If you have great savings habits, well, you might have trouble spending. Steve and I discuss how you can feel more confident about creating retirement income and take your questions about money and financial planning. Andy Stout, CFA and the chief investment officer of Allworth Financial, breaks down how the debt problems from Evergrande, that Chinese real estate conglomerate, May affect your 401k. Finally, Steve and I interviewed Chip Gerhardt. He's the president and CEO of Government Strategies Group, also the father of a daughter with special needs, about how he created the ABLE account, a tax advantage savings tool for Americans with special needs. Well, your 401k might be down today. Concerns over the Federal Reserve and China. So here's what's going on and how long-term investors... Need to be responding. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Steve Sprovac. Shoot tough day for your 401k. U.S. stocks fell on several emerging risks, some that we're very familiar with, we talk about all the time here on the show, and some of them kind of new. Joining us tonight with his perspective, Andy Stout, CFA, Chief Investment Officer at Allworth Financial. He's guiding $11, $12 billion worth of people's savings from retirees nationwide, right here here in Cincinnati. Andy, we've been talking about the Fed. Obviously, this is something markets are watching very closely, um, but it almost appears like a new risk kind of emerged over the past few days and that's in china let's talk about that
1: yes yeah, so you might be hearing about a company called evergrand yes. they are china's second largest real estate developer i mean they're working on like 1300 different real estate projects uh, they're actually also dabbled in other areas like electrical vehicles media soccer things like that so it's a pretty big company. It's almost one of those too-big-to-fail companies, and that's what the markets are worried about, because last week Bloomberg News reported that Evergrande might miss their debt payments, essentially f- causing them to default on some things, and default just means you you don't pay the interest on a loan that you have, and it reminds people about 2008 when the Lehman Brothers missed their debt payments, so you start thinking, okay, here's a really big company. They have $300 billion of That's about two percent of China's GDP, by the way.
0: So the concern here, Andy, because I think it's it's tough for a lot of people to understand, like why is my 401k being impacted by some real estate company in China? Mm -hmm. Uh, You're saying though, this is such a massive company that the concern over this default is actually what's having the impact.
1: Yeah. So we can look to Lehman Brothers for a very similar uh, playbook, if you will. So Mm -hmm. we think back, what could happen with Evergrande? Well, missed payments by Evergrande would cause banks that have lent to them, they would have to reprice those uh, loans lower to devalue them. Uh, And that would mean because banks have to meet um, liquidity requirements and certain ratios of having safe assets versus unsafe assets, they might be forced to sell other assets, possibly other good assets, uh, and what you could end up doing is forcing other uh, loans to decrease in value because when you sell, you're putting downward pressure on the price. That, in turn, would lead to possibly a liquidity crisis where capital markets freeze up, meaning companies wouldn't have access to borrow money, which would make it more difficult for them to run their day-to-day operations, which would impact not just the Chinese economy, but this ripple effect throughout the world, but economies, Chinese corporate profits especially, and that could result in stocks selling off because corporate profits are lower.
2: Uh, realistically, Andy, I mean, it sounds pretty scary, but what yep. uh, what are the chances? I, I mean, could this cause another 2008-style market meltdown?
1: Highly unlikely. Um, one of the big reasons is the Chinese Communist Party values stability, mm-hmm. right? They, they don't like when there's turmoil. They want things to be very smooth because one of the worst things for uh, communism in general is when – people are upset and you know it could it could hurt the party itself so they want the people to be happy and also a lot of chinese people they are heavily invested in real estate themselves so one of the things that chinese president xi jinping wants to do is he's trying to redistribute wealth so if there's a lot of individual people who are invested in the real estate sector any sort of you know, wipe out of that completely uh, and banking crisis would affect the, the broad masses. So what I think you probably see is that you do see some sort of bailout to some extent. I don't know to what extent, but I would say it's not like a Lehman Brothers. I mean, I don't think it'll turn out like a Lehman Brothers. It might turn out more like if you think back to 1998, um, if you remember long-term capital management where they were bailed out by the Fed and some other large banks which threw money in. So you could see a, something similar maybe happening over in China where the Beijing steps in and bails them out
0: which, Andy, this is something we'll obviously be watching closely over the next few days because these payments are due soon. Um, But but coming closer to home, for a while now, all eyes have been on the Fed. And and without a doubt, right, you watch the Fed incredibly closely. You've kind of uh, given them a pretty good grade on how they've handled, uh, you know, this economic crisis that's been associated with COVID. Um, But let's talk about what we're watching closely now when it comes to the Fed.
1: Yeah, so the Fed did a good job uh, when the economy – Came to a screeching halt. They they really did. And you're not now, one to
0: pause, right? If you don't think they're doing, I love this about you. You will call it if you don't think they're doing this well.
1: Oh, I thought they did. They were terrible in 2018. Yes. Uh, but that's <laughs> we can talk about history later. Uh, so the question now becomes. What happens in the future? Because they're about to make a pivot and it'll Mm -hmm. be really critical how well uh, this pivot occurs in in terms of how it will affect the markets, how it will possibly affect the economy. So what they've been doing, they've been buying about 120 million dollars or billion, excuse me, dollars of bonds uh, every month, you know, since, uh, you know, back in you know April uh, roughly of last year. And what this has done is it's pushed the Fed's balance sheet up to about $8.4 trillion. So now what they're trying to do, they're trying to slow down the rate of purchases. That's called tapering. They want to reduce the amount that they're buying and eventually get to a point where they're not buying any more bonds. And the reason they bought bonds in the first place was to make sure that the capital markets were functioning smoothly. Uh, Companies were able to borrow uh, and issue bonds to raise money. Also, it keeps longer-term interest rates down because it adds an extra uh, buyer uh, to the mix. So if they're buying these bonds, it helps keep interest rates low, which is good for long-term lending for companies, right? So now the Fed is looking to reverse that. And taper or reduce those amount of bond purchases.
2: Hey, Andy, I, I think we both agree they they just totally fumbled it in 2018 and, and they learned their lesson. I, I mean, they've been really transparent about this. So when the news comes out that they are going to start tapering, I think the markets have already discounted that. They've already taken that in, in, into account. What else could the Fed announce that could cause markets to tumble?
1: I mean, the real question becomes, Steve, How does tapering of these asset purchases, these bond purchases, relate to when the Fed is going to start to raise interest rates, right? Uh, Chairman Powell, Federal Reserve Chairman Powell, he said uh, that rate liftoff is not related to the timing of tapering. But, you know, we all kind of know, well, they're probably not going to raise rates until they're done tapering. So I don't think anyone quite believes that. So the question, I think, becomes what happens with interest rates? When might the Fed raise rates? They're concerned about inflation. They're concerned about full employment. You know, they want to make sure that that dual mandate is met. And when they're thinking about all of this on on the possible risks that you're asking about, I think, hiking too soon or too quickly could be uh, something that needs to be watched very closely. We're going to get a sense of what the Fed is thinking actually on Wednesday when they release what's called a dot plot. And what the dot plot shows is where individual Fed members, voters and non-voters, by the way, uh, think Fed funds rates should be at the end of the upcoming calendar years. The last dot plot in June, it showed two hikes by the end of 2023 and no hikes next year when you look at the median dot. Wouldn't it be too surprised if that goes up to one hike next year and a total of three hikes by the end of 2023?
0: You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC. We are joined as we are every Monday by our chief investment officer, kind of bringing his analysis and some common sense to what's going on in the markets on a day when, as you check your 401k, it might be down. Andy, from a practical standpoint, one thing I know that a lot of us have been concerned with is inflation. What are your thoughts on inflation right now and moving forward?
1: Well, we got some good inflation data last week. I mean, it's really been a concern of a lot of people. That is one of the Fed's two uh, mandates: a stable inflation. Uh, economists last uh, week, when the CPI, which is consumer prices, uh, measure of inflation, they were expecting it to decelerate, which it did on a month-over-month basis from 0.5% to 0.4. It actually fell to 0.3. So, the bottom line is, I don't want to get into the weeds on numbers, but it fell quicker than what was anticipated. What was driving this uh, was a drop in airfare that fell uh, as did uh, motor vehicle costs. So that helped to bring down inflation. Does this mean this is the beginning of the end of high inflation? Yeah, I don't think it is. I don't think we're quite ready to get back to normal levels. I think we're, we're going to see some elevated inflation uh, at least into the early part of next year. And part of the reason for that, Amy, is that we still have massive supply chain issues. Yeah. And once this delta wave you know, starts to roll over like other waves has, it's likely consumers will get out and spend more money.
2: I, I think that's my concern, Andy, is when when does inflation normalize? I mean, uh, airline prices aren't going to keep dropping. And, and all you have to do is go down to Kroger and you're going to see, you know, milk, eggs, bacon's double the price in, in the last couple of weeks. Gas is back up over three three bucks a, a gallon. It, it just seems to me that, that this inflation is not going to go away right away. Do you, I mean, is that your feeling? Is it going to be with us a little longer than expected?
1: Well, I think it'll probably be with us until the early part of next year, at least. When you think about inflation, what the Federal Reserve and, you know, people are, uh, economists are concerned about, it's that rate of change or how quickly prices are increasing. You know, with everything going on from, Covid supply chain issues, uh, the reopening, what you're seeing, and, and also the massive job opening. I mean, there's 10.9 million job openings. That's 2.2 million more than the number of unemployed, which is a it's a, the biggest spread ever. So what that tells you is that employers are going to have to pay up for way, uh, pay up to get employees, entice them off the sidelines. So what I think you see is you think of uh, inflation as your total prices, your base level. You're seeing it increase rapidly right now. Mm -hmm. What I expect to happen is that sometime in the early part of next year, while the base will have increased, the rate of change will start to slow. And that's the thing. We'll just be working off of a higher base.
0: Andy, finally, what is your message tonight to investors? Because there's a lot of people out there saying, you know, correction is coming. Correction is coming. This is just this volatility is just a sign of it. Uh, And a lot of people who are talking about just getting out of the market altogether
1: yeah is a correction coming yeah corrections happen all the time i mean 10 yeah. to 15 correction is pretty normal uh so yeah there will one day be another correction could this be the early part of it perhaps i mean if you look at back at the the ability of so called experts to actually time tops and bottoms they often fail miserably and you end up hurting yourself by following advice uh like that it, a lot more than if you just would have patient and, and stayed invested. Because what happens when you see these ups and downs in the market, uh, it's easy for fear to take over. Right now, people are afraid because you're seeing the market tumble. Uh, when something like that happens is you make a decision based on your emotions, not based on your financial plan and the goals you need to achieve. So instead, Great. focus more long-term, not what's happening on a day-to-day basis.
0: Great reminder, Andy. Thank you so much. Here's a Simply Money point. Stocks and bonds, they could see some moves in any, any direction. But remember, market timing, it just doesn't work. Those who stay disciplined and patient will enjoy a financially rewarding retirement. You know, we, we work with so many retirees, Steve. You have countless through the years. The interesting thing, though, that ends up being a problem for a lot of retirees is You've been saving and saving and saving, mm-hmm. and you just can't flip the trigger to spending. Now, me, right now, that seems like such a weird concept, but it happens all the time.
2: <laughs> you, you you never had that problem, switching to spending, <laughs> is, is what I'm hearing. Yeah, oh,
0: no, not ju- so much. Uh,
2: you know, let, let's uh, just be realistic for a second. I, I mean, if you, you're broke, you don't see a guy like me. So I see some really, really good savers. And I don't want to say west side versus east side, but I'll tell you what, getting a good conservative west west side cincinnatian who has saved up money religiously over the years to try to start spending that money it ain't gonna happen i I mean it just doesn't and and you know that's that's a good thing i mean these are great habits that were developed over the course of of your lifetime to be able to accumulate this kind of money and and, you know if i run a plan and well okay you're gonna leave two to three million dollars to your kids if you live to be in your mid-90s you know there's some Eye-opening going on, but it doesn't mean they're going to go out and buy their second and third vacation home by any stretch either.
0: Yeah. And I think for so many, if you are close to retirement or in retirement, the problem is there's no hard, fast formula. And I can't tell you how many of you have come up to me over the years and said, yeah, but what's the magic number? Or what percentage do I need? What percentage can I draw down? What percentage of my income or my paycheck do I need to replace? And I wish it were that easy. I really do. Um, But it's not. And Steve, you've been in the business when the 4% rule was kind of a hard and fast rule that really did work.
2: Yeah, it's become more of a guideline at best. Yeah, you know, yeah, and, and there, there's no there, there's no magic number. But I, I think the first thing you got to say to yourself is, OK, here's how much money I have built up in my investment accounts. What can I draw from that? Um, at least think in terms of percentages, because I, I've seen people and met with one uh, earlier in the day today um, that through a previous advisor was drawing eight, nine percent out of Ooh. their account and, and w- didn't realize that that was a bad thing. Okay, so you know, four percent is a good starting point, and and what we're basically saying is, of your investments, can you draw four percent per year and not run out of money by the end of your life? Well, it's more complicated than that because it was
0: also developed in the nineties. 90s, nineties 90s, right?
2: interest rates were a little bit higher than yeah. today, right? Like a lot of bit higher. Like a lot higher. Yes, exactly.
0: Life expectancies are longer today. uh, So it's Mm -hmm. really hard to come up with kind of a a one size fits all formula. But you can imagine, you know, all these years you've been stocking money into that 401k out of your paycheck. You've been probably smart about saving, right? If you listen to the show, you're probably a saver. You're very into money and figuring out what the best route is for you. And then you get to retirement and it feels really, really weird to flip that switch uh, instead Spend and knowing how much you'll spend is hard. And, and I know a lot of people, Steve, who get close to retirement and say, I'm going to spend less in retirement. You know, yeah. like I don't have the commute and I don't have the dry cleaning bill and I'm not going to have lunch with my buddies. And the marketing department or the sales department, and that's really not the case.
2: No, it's not, and and there are two times in retirement where you're going to spend probably a lot more than than yeah. you expect. That's the first year because hey, we're retired. Let's go take that trip we always wanted to take. Right. And later in life, healthcare expenses get more expensive as you age. I, I mean, you might spend two hundred and fifty to three hundred thousand dollars in the last few years of your life on healthcare expenses. So yeah, you've got a budget for that, and and that starts off with having an emergency fund.
0: Yeah. So so planning for those expenses, you mentioned to an emergency fund, Ed Fink, one of our founders right before he retired, uh, talked really openly about the fact that he had set aside enough money in cash where if there was a major market pullback, he wouldn't have to draw down money right while it was down. It, the losses are on paper at that point if he's got the money on in in cash on the sidelines right. and he can use that to live off of.
2: Yeah, and, and that's that's the whole key is, and, and we saw this just last uh, March during the early stages of the pandemic, uh, if you had an investment account and you needed to draw money out and the market just uh, just went down to the toilet, um, your savings account, your emergency savings saved your, your butt. I, I mean, you were able to draw from savings, and when prices recovered three, four months later, then you replenish the emergency fund. So that, that's what it's for, it's so that yeah. you can draw down on your savings account instead of investments if it's a bad time for investments if it's a good time and investments are up draw from the investments it gives you a choice
0: when you may have the best financial plan in place for retirement in the world but things change right what if your family moves away and your grandkids and all of a sudden where you were driving five minutes you're flying five hours to see them right at least you have a financial plan to start from but this is a living breathing document it will change and that's okay here's a simply money point a plan not a product is the best way to be confident about your retirement income Congratulations to a Cincinnati restaurant for this coveted national award. Steve, the best restroom (laughs) goes to.
2: Oh, boy. It goes to Mason's Two City Pizza Company, which I know of as having awesome pizza. Yeah. Yeah. Have um, you been in their bathrooms? Uh no. I I I guess unfortunately I have not. But Loser. apparently,
0: apparently you're losing I out. know. Here.
2: Oh, what I'm wondering is, okay, CentOS, you know, they're by the way, CentOS is I didn't realize I knew they were big. They're the sixth largest company in Cincinnati yeah. by revenues. They're a big company and they, they go are. into businesses all over the country. Very successful company. And for whatever reason, they decided let's rate bathrooms. Yeah. And so they go all over the country and right here in Mason. Number 1. Well, maybe I shouldn't say number 1. The top the top oh, bathroom not, is Mason's Two Cities Pizza not Company. Go there. I went there. Okay,
0: so for those of you who've never been in this bathroom, I have not, but I've seen pictures. Super cool. It looks like you're in a subway station. And and, and little, even there's graffiti all over the walls <laughs> and even above where you wash your hands at the sink, there are the things that you hold on to like the straps in the subways. There's a platform there. Oh boy. Um, and keep in mind, right? Like two cities pizza refers to New York and Chicago. And yeah, so yeah. this is, looks like a New York subway. So super cool. Congrats to you. We mentioned Jungle Gyms. If you've been to Jungle Gyms, famous porta potty restrooms, well, they have also won this award. Back in 2007.
2: Yeah, and if you go back a little further, Nashville Zoo, where you get a view of some of their exhibits while you're doing your business. So there's there's some creativity in the award, apparently. It's. I'm not uh, sure
0: how I'd feel if I were the animals no, in the no, Nashville Zoo. Very yeah. interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, every week we crack open the Allworth Mailbag. This is where we answer the questions you send us at Ask Simply Money at AllworthFinancial.com. Our first question tonight comes from Claire in Hebron. My son is a junior in high school and is leaning towards joining the military. What should I do with the money in his 529 plan? I have about $8,000 saved there. First of all, Claire, very cool Yeah, uh, that your son is thinking about serving our country. We so appreciate that. Uh, well, let's talk about a question.
2: Yeah, and, and 529 plans are, are they're just tremendous college funding and college-saving tools, but there's still a lot of misconceptions, Amy. I, I mean, when we started talking about state-sponsored plans for college savings in Ohio, it was the Ohio Tuition Trust Authority. And, and when you go back to the beginning, that was money that was paid to the state of Ohio and could only be used for Ohio schools. Well, a 529 is totally different. I, I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's a great funding tool for college where – Parents, grandparents, pretty much anybody can put money in an account for college education for a certain individual. And as long as that money is used for college expenses, books, tuition, room and board, that sort of thing, in any college accredited university in in the United States, that money comes out tax-free. I I mean, these are awesome. But here's an interesting question. Um, Okay, he's not going to college and maybe never goes to college. What can you do? Here, it's called portability. One of the best features of a 529 plan is, let's say myself, as, well, this is the, the case, as a grandparent, I've got a 529 for my grandkids, okay? Mm-hmm. Let's just say one of those grandkids doesn't uh, go to college. I can then roll over or transfer that account, that 529 plan, into one of the other grandkids' accounts. Easily. And and, and they can use that money for the same purpose, okay? Yeah. So that, that part's nice. Or you can say, you know what? Good for the grandkid or good for the son going into the military. I set this money aside. He deserves to still use it. You can use it for whatever you want. That kid can still use that money, but you just pay tax on it because you're not using it for college when you withdraw it. By the way, it's the parent, the the owner of the account that pays the tax, not the kid because it's technically the parent's money.
0: Lots of flexibility here. Oh, Tons of flexibility. We don't know if Claire has any other children. If she does, you can easily, right, transfer it to them, yep. nieces, nephews. Ultimately, I've even heard of people saying, I want to go to cooking school. Or, Claire can use that money. Yes. Claire yes. can actually use that yep. money herself. There are a number of options as we talk about the fact that this has become more and more flexible. Uh, so lots of options there. Uh, For both you and your son. Next question from Jeff in Norwood. What's the best place to keep my savings to buy a house? I'm looking to put 18% down on a $250,000 home later this year.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for, yeah. For, first, and I know bank accounts, they're not, I mean, what are you getting an in interest in your accounts, Amy? Oh, like you a know?
0: tenth of a tenth of yeah. a tenth of no. a percent. So, so the
2: first reaction is, well, I need to invest this because sure. I'm not getting it. No, you don't need to invest this. This is what the bank is for. You if, want
0: the money later this year, yeah. Jeff. It does not belong in the market. And, I'm and sorry, my you friend. might
2: find a house even sooner than that. So yeah. the whole key is liquidity and don't lose I, I I mean that's what the bank is designed for uh, let's go risk-free let's not have the ability to lose money that's what a savings account and a money market is for please don't go outside that and invest it in anything volatile because this is this is your your first home I mean yeah. this is a big deal make sure the money's there when you need it and, and uh, there are some options other than going down to your local bank there's some great online banks right sure. now that a lot of people aren't aware of um, they
0: may be paying half of a well, yeah,
2: and that's it's not much better, but it's better. I, yes. I mean, and that is about sure. what you can get four tenths, five tenths of a percent with companies like American Express. Goldman Sachs has something called the Marcus account. Just well, make uh, sure yeah. they're FDIC insured. You want that. Most of them are, but not all of them are.
0: All right. Next question. Rachel in Middletown. I'm retiring next year. I have four hundred thousand dollars saved in IRAs and 401ks. Right now, my savings are 8020 in stocks and bonds. Should that be more conservative, Rachel is 54 years old, Her mortgage is going to be paid off by retirement, and she is going to take Social Security.
2: Amy, what do you think? I I mean, my my first question is, wait, you're 54, you've got 400 (sighs) grand. How are you going to pay the bills until you can draw Social Security? Yes, I
0: don't say dial back toward bonds whatsoever, because my concern is, first of all, you're super young, Rachel, at 54 years old. I'm also concerned about... um, Social, Social security and uh, how you're going to pay for health insurance, right? Yeah. So you've got four hundred thousand dollars. I'm worried about your timeline here. Unless yeah. there's other forms of income during this time, I think there's a lot you need to think through here. So I don't. I say you don't go any more conservative on bonds yeah. right now because I think you're going to need some growth.
2: She, she's going to need some growth, but my concern is, and, and you know, I hate to call it the four percent rule, but it's a starting place. And if you take four percent of of four hundred grand. That's $16,000 a year. That's about what your health insurance may wind up costing you. Well, we talk you. about the fact that – What's left that, over?
0: Yes, we talk about the fact of high, how high yeah. uh, health care costs yeah. are in retirement, and you're only 54 years old. Yeah. You can add you know, a significant amount to that. I'm not, I'm not confident that Rachel has I, enough.
2: She needs to sit down with a financial planner and, and map this out because I don't think she can afford to retire.
0: Yes, Rachel, get yourself a plan before you make any major decisions. If you are a parent of a child or you have a family member who has special needs, you understand that the process of planning for them financially is a lot more complicated than planning for anyone else. And joining us tonight um, in the studio is Chip Gerhart. He's the president and CEO of Government Strategies Group, a full-service bipartisan and government relations firm. But, Chip, even more than that, you're the father of a daughter who has special needs. And years ago, you realized there was something huge missing for what you could do for your daughter.
3: Yeah. Well, thanks for having me here today. Uh, um, I do. I have a daughter, Ann, who's now 24, mm. uh, who has Down syndrome. And I was serving on the board of the National Down Syndrome Society when it was realized by a group of parents in Northern Virginia that if you had more than $2,000 worth of assets in your child's name, he or she would lose uh, their benefits, uh, social security and Medicaid benefits, which are hugely important for uh, the disability community, and the parents couldn't believe that this one was a federal law and two that it actually existed, and so they asked the questions. One of the people at the table that night actually said, "I know a person who works for a member of Congress. I'll ask him." The mem- the, the staffer didn't know the answer, but researched it and realized that that was, in fact, true. It you, was
0: not a mistake, which is hard to believe.
3: Exactly. And said, we want to do something about it. Uh, it took us four years to realize that we weren't going to be able to change Social Security or Medicaid law because that's too Byzantine and too complicated. Sure. And we landed on what ultimately became the ABLE Act, the Achieving a Better Life Experience Act which expanded the powers of the 529 college savings account to include people with disabilities, allowing uh, them and their families to put uh, $14,000 a year at the time uh, into an account, into an ABLE account uh, that would not jeopardize their Social Security or Medicaid. Uh, I want and- to
0: talk about that process of, of getting there, Chip, because you are a lobbyist yes. by trade. I always have been a lobbyist, local, state federal level, and then here you are with this very personal need in your life that you're seeing. So you're taking your skills, uh, your career, and you're applying it to something very personal to you. Talk about that path. What was that like?
3: Well, it was was an absolute crazy process because I was both a trained advocate and a father at the same time. And I really had to control my own emotions because I wanted to be the outraged parent at times. But I needed to be the professional and explain <clears> the <throat> situation to staffers or members of Congress. And it took us eight years to wow. convince people that uh, we should correct this great injustice. I mean it was a a civil rights, human rights issue – uh, the two thousand dollar asset limit was put into place in nineteen sixty four and when we got this passed in nineteen uh in two thousand and fourteen it hadn't been raised a penny in fact, it still hasn't been raised there is in still
0: fifty years
3: in well in to today too yeah. there's still a two thousand dollar asset limit. Uh, or you lose your eligibility unless you put it into an ABLE account, which is crazy. I mean it's anti-American. It's anti-everything that we were taught as as Americans, work hard, save, and – Take care of yourself and your family members. And Chip, as an investment
2: advisor, there weren't real good tools before the Able accounts. You had to set up a special needs trust, set up a foundation, attain five hundred one c three status. All of these these tools that were the only other choices before the Able Act they were expensive, and not every parent could afford that. It, it seems to me like once you came up with the concept, this should have been a gimme. I mean, it should have been everybody should have been on board but it took a long time for you to get this act passed what what were the roadblocks what what would be what were the problems that came up that caused this not to just be rubber
3: stamped well initially we wanted to fix the problem sure. we wanted to change the asset limitation or remove it yes. altogether medicaid is not a program for people with disabilities it's it's a it's a program that that had its origins in helping poor people mm-hmm. and so it it wasn't designed to deal with the dynamics of, of people with disabilities, and it, but it's never been fixed. So we, we tried to fix it. We realized that that was a massive undertaking. And once you open the door, uh, public policymakers are concerned who follows in behind you and what they want to do. Sure. So we couldn't fix that. We couldn't fix the Social Security issues And thus, we had to come in with this workaround. And as I said, the problem is good
0: for you, right? Not easy to do when you're dealing with politicians. You've got doors shutting in your face. But here you are. And I'm sure this is the point where you are the outraged father a little bit. Right. I'm not going to give up on this because we need something to change here.
3: Right. You know, I was able to go in and, and I would be in Washington regularly. I ended up as chairman of the board of the National Down Syndrome Society. And, and my one focus, as I told my fellow board members, was to get ABLE passed. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I didn't really I cared about other things, but this was my focus. And I was able to go into meetings with members of Congress and, and say, I have three children. I have two sons and a daughter. Uh, both of my sons have 529 college savings account, and my daughter does not, and the only reason she doesn't, because she has an extra 21st chromosome. Mm-hmm. You tell me where in public policy that makes sense. You you show me where somebody whose challenges are more than her brother's, but yet by matter of public policy, we limit her opportunities to save and to... And, ultimately do things for herself. Um, and, again, once we, once we landed on the 529 uh, ABLE account, it still took us four years yeah. to get it done. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there are many members of Congress, our local delegation especially, were very helpful. And, and former Speaker John Boehner uh, helped kick the door open and make, make sure this happened. He was instrumental uh, in in getting this through the Congress, working with then uh, leader uh, Harry Reid in the Senate.
0: What does that what did that day feel like? I mean, take us back to that day, 2014, right, when finally you were able to say, "Okay, we've been able to do this. And also here you are, the father, but you're surrounded by so many people who have been needing something similar for their family members. What's the reaction there as well?
3: Well, it was an unbelievable day. It was the 3rd or 4th of December in 2014, and there were 100 of us in Washington because we knew that the vote was coming up. The House rules show the schedule, and so a lot of people came to Washington, and we were in the gallery while the vote was going on, and it takes – you need 217 votes – to pass a bill in the House. There were 435 members or 218 votes. And um, the 218th vote was cast by a young girl with Down syndrome from California whose member saw her and her parents up in the gallery, said, come wow. down here. And when they got to 217, she pressed the button to vote yes. Perfect
0: emotional
3: oh my gosh we went crazy we're crying we're cheering yes. the, the the sergeant of arms is telling us to be quiet <laughs> we're, we're going to be thrown out of the chambers we're <laughs> <For, for laughs> celebrating right and 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 ultimately, uh, it passed 404 to 17, and I'm still looking for those 17 members who <laughs> couldn't figure that out.
0: You'll never, yeah, you'll probably never forget them. But more importantly, what you have brought to the table for so many families Uh so amazing. Chip Gerhard. thank you so much for joining us tonight. Great perspective. The ABLE accounts. If you have a child with special needs, this is the game changer. This is the game changer in helping to make sure that they are financially taken care of. We're going to talk to you again about where uh, the ABLE accounts have gone since then. Thank you for joining us tonight. You've been listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC. We are the talk station. You've been listening to the best of Simply Money. If you could do us a favor, send the show to a friend if you think they may benefit from it, too. At All Worth Financial, we help you retire better.